0: Today's podcast episode is sponsored by Gabrielle Hartley, the creator of the Better Apart Method. Gabrielle and her best-selling book, Better Apart, The Radically Positive Way to Separate, have been featured in People Magazine, The New York Times, The New York Post, Vice, U.S. News & World Report, and many other media outlets. Everyone's talking about Better Apart. In fact, even Gwyneth Paltrow loves the book and said that it's full of potent tools for you and your family. Now, the Better Apart Masterclass is available to you online. And for a limited time, you gain access to a special one-on-one mini consultation with Gabrielle herself. Using the powerful tools provided in the Better Apart Masterclass, you can begin to get clear, feel better, and reclaim your life. So head over to GabrielleHartley.com and sign up today. Use the code BEYOND25 to receive $25 off the cost of the Masterclass. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast.
1: Because I realized whether you're the breadwinner, whether you're an at-home spouse, male, female, nobody knows what's going to happen and that uncertainty just creates so much fear, which then prevents you from making good decisions. And of of course, as you well know, when you're going through the lawsuit, the business of the lawsuit of divorce, you're probably going to have to make the most important decisions from a financial perspective of your life and the importance of calming that fear and having a good professional team to to guide you through it.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie and today's guest is one of the leading divorce financial professionals in the country and certainly here in Chicago where I'm located. She is going to highlight some of the key financial factors that you need to consider when negotiating your financial settlement and tell you what you need to know to protect yourself. So let me introduce her, her name is Heather Locus. Thank you Heather for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. I'm I'm very happy to be having you on because, as we were just talking about, the financial side of divorce is you know of huge concern to people. Um, And you're just you know you have such a wealth of knowledge in this particular area. And I want to emphasize to people that in you you have a broad background in finance, but you are also a divorce financial professional. And that really is key. Um, Let me just tell people a little bit about you. Um, You're an owner of Velasa, Dinverno, and Foltz here in Chicago, but you have offices all around the country. And you head up the Divorce Practice Group, and you're the founder of the Women's Service Team. So you, you have a very broad reach there, and you solve problems by balancing the emotional and behavioral components of financial decisions with the tax and legal issues. So you really are bringing all the components of what people are dealing with in divorce together. And this, I, I, I'm very impressed by all the letters after your name. You are a CPA, a CFA, and a CDFA. Now, for those of you who are listening, you all know I love CDFAs. They're, they're my favorite people in the world when it comes to the finances of divorce. But to be a C PA, a certified public accountant and a CFA a certified financial advisor. to have that triumvirate really means that you know your stuff. This is a smart cookie, people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and backing that up, you are also a Forbes America's top women advisor, a six-time five-star wealth manager, and an influent, influential woman in business by the business ledger. So, you know, Heather, <laughs> thank you for coming and helping me educate my mm-hmm. listeners on negotiating their financial future. Um, so again, thank you for coming.
1: Uh, well, thank you for having me. And I guess the thing that I may not have shared, I didn't tell you, but uh, as you know, I am divorced and unfortunately that was probably the best training for helping people through it. Uh, because even though I'm a partner in a multi-billion dollar investment firm, when I got divorced, I literally remember holding my purse with my financial documents and being scared, even though, like logically i knew i didn't need to be but emotionally that fear of the unknown and what's going to happen and that's what drove me to start our divorce practice group even though i would started our women's service team 15 years ago because i realized whether you're the breadwinner whether you're an at-home spouse male female Nobody knows what's going to happen, and that uncertainty just creates so much fear, which then prevents you from making good decisions. And, of course, as you well know, when you're going through the lawsuit, the business of the lawsuit of divorce, you're probably going to have to make the most important decisions from a financial perspective of your life and the importance of calming that fear and having a good professional team to to guide you through it.
0: I, I'm so glad you shared that, because that, I think, will really speak to listeners. Here you are, you know, I just went through all of those amazing credentials that you have as a financial professional, and yet you would ad, you admit that you even you were afraid at the time of divorce, and that's, you know, where most of my listeners are, as they sit here listening to you and I talk today. They are sitting usually in a space where they're c- contemplating divorce and are afraid of what it looks like, or they're going through it and are immobilized by that fear. Um, and that's actually the most dangerous place to be, because if you are immobilized, I call it ostrich syndrome, you know, they stick their head in the sand and the divorce kind of happens around them. Their professionals handle it for them, they tell them what to do, and instead of making good rational decisions based upon being educated, they may make decisions that don't work well for them. And once the divorce is finalized, there's no going back in most cases to fix it. So I love that we're going to highlight today some of the really key financial factors, and then from your perspective, what they need to know, what they need to consider. Now, I do want to point out to listeners, as you and I mentioned when we were talking before we started taping, This is, we could turn any single one of these topics into an, at least an hour long um, discussion. This is, you know, we learned this stuff in law school over years. I've been practicing for umpteen years. You have as well. So these are deep dive topics and we're going to sort of give you a brief overview, but I thought we'd jump in with the one that really gets everyone's bells ringing um, and that's alimony. That is the one where I I called it in a former podcast with my former show, um, the the word that creates the biggest fear in divorce or the scariest word in divorce, because if you are someone who's going to pay alimony or spousal support or maintenance, whatever it's called in your state, you're afraid of how much you have to pay. And if you're going to receive it, you're afraid you're not going to get enough. Right. So so tell why don't we just start with alimony? Why don't you tell us, you know, what what you would like people to know what you at a high level tell your clients to be considering when it comes to alimony?
1: So first it's with all of this it's starting with what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? What are those fears that we understand that so we can create negotiations that are based on what's most important to you, what's most important to your spouse, how do we try to satisfy those interests? And sometimes people say, well, I don't care what my spouse thinks, and I'm like, oh, trust me, you do, because it's gonna make the negotiations go easier if you can work with your attorney on that. And ultimately, if you wanna get through it with the least amount of cost, complexity, and collateral damage, and not find yourself back in court longer term, it's creating something that'll reasonably work for the entire family is is really important to start with. Um, the other thing I tell people when they they come in and they really want to know alimony and how does this work and how much am I going to have to pay or how much might I receive is, again, especially when you're working with a mediator or any alternative dispute resolution, when you're negotiating it and not having the judge decide, you can create what works for your family. There are guidelines in most states, but you want to look at the whole package because you might adjust something on the alimony because of tax reasons and that might affect the property split. And that might be the smartest Decision for you, and it may not, but you want to be aware of that. So, you can't just take one piece, just alimony, just child support, or property split, and look at them in isolation. It is a combined financial package we have to consider. But most people want to understand well, what's taken into consideration? How do I look at this? Um, There's been lots of changes in multiple states recently, particularly in Illinois over the last few years, to look at guidelines. The goal is to try to make it people get through the court system easier Um, in some ways that's helped in some ways it's created more confusion but typically you're gonna see the considerations are you know what has been the standard of living for the family in the past how much income does each house spouse have now what is that potentially going to look like going forward how much were they spending what was the lifestyle and a lot of times the guidelines are based on certain dollar amounts. So in Illinois, the guidelines now, if it's over 500000 the guidelines may not apply. But under 5000 there's pretty specific guidelines that you're supposed to take into consideration. So with all of that, it's why you need the attorneys to really give you the information for your state specifically.
0: Yeah, and that's a good point, because every state has different laws around how alimony is determined. Um, So in Illinois, you just mentioned they have guidelines, Um, I can speak to California has a guideline figure for what we call pendente lite um, alimony or spousal support where it will set an amount. Well, the divorce is going on, but then it's an open question after. And then the other state I practice in, Connecticut, there's no guideline. It's a it's an entirely negotiated figure. Um, and you know, the other thing for people to remember about alimony. Well, there are a few things that I always try to point out to people. Um, One is you mentioned lifestyle, right? That's something that people look at. And I've had this come up all the time where people are like, well, my lifestyle is I'm used to taking two vacations a year at a five-star resort. And I'm used to my children going to private school and I'm used to this and I'm used to that. That's our lifestyle. But reality may be that that lifestyle was the amount of income coming in funded that lifestyle in one household. And when you now are going to have two households, lifestyle is not the only factor so the the goal of alimony is not always to just put you keep you right where you were during the marriage isn't that right
1: yeah that's absolutely true so we see that you know we have all high net worth cases but no matter how many zeros you have few people are living on less than half of their income and assets so there's almost always some type of an adjustment um, and as you're saying it's it's one factor, but it's one factor of many, what the lifestyle was, what the income is, what the guidelines are, how this might change going forward. And that's, again, why it's so difficult to understand and project what might happen. It's also interesting as a financial professional that has cases in many states, you know, I when I started doing more divorce work almost a decade ago... You, you kind of get frustrated with the attorneys like you know give you want you want the answer and I can empathize with people going divorce like give me the answer and every year as I do more and more cases in more and more states you realize there there really is no answer that's why because there's so many unique circumstances and that's why you have to look at the whole package as frustrating as it is when you're newly in the divorce process and want to try to get that clarity.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone always wants to know, you know, how much am I going to get? That is like one of the questions or how much am I going to have to pay? And I, you know, often tell clients it's actually one of the last things that usually will be determined in a divorce settlement is the amount of alimony or spousal support. And, And I think that goes back to what you said about, this is an overall package settlement and all the pieces need to work together. I always reference it as a puzzle. The settlement is a puzzle and all the pieces need to actually fit together. So you don't decide how much alimony is going to be, then decide how you're gonna split up the assets, then decide how you're gonna split up the debt. You know, it's, it's an overall picture and very often you're going to decide the property settlement and then determine the support picture. Um, So although we started talking about alimony first, many times it's the last thing that's determined.
1: Yeah, and after the tax law in 2018, that's even more important because we're finding particularly for high net worth families, there's more opportunity to potentially do a different asset split or be thoughtful on which assets go to which Spouse, because the taxation of an IRA and a 401k is not the same as a taxation of Apple stock, you know, in a joint account. And so, to have the sophistication to think about what are the taxes going to look like for the breadwinner going forward, what are they going to look at look like for the other spouse, and to be really strategic on the property split and take into consideration the alimony maintenance it, is really important and could bottom line save both spouses money by paying the government less legally.
0: Right. Well, and you mentioned the tax change of 2018. So for people who are not in the divorce world like we are, they may not understand the significant change that happened with the the new tax laws. So why don't could you just, you know, give an overview of that because I think it's important for people to understand. It really was a significant change in our our tax laws when it comes to divorce.
1: Yeah, so for over 70 years what the IRS had allowed was that the payer, usually the breadwinner is paying the maintenance to the receiving spouse who has less income or maybe was at home and the payer could deduct that payment, so reducing their taxes and the recipient spouse then paid tax on that. And because the recipient spouse usually has less income, it would be at a lower bracket. So for example, if let's say it was 100,000 to make the math easy, the payer might be in a 37% bracket, so that would save them 30, 37000 in federal income tax. And the recipient might be in a 24% bracket, so pay $24,000 of tax on that. So bottom line, the difference between that, that $13,000 difference, saved the, the family money so they could split that difference rather than give it to the IRS. Well, in 2018, <laughs> the law changed. So for do, new divorces, after December 31st of 2018. So if you were divorced 2019 or beyond, you no longer have the choice to deduct a maintenance payment, alimony payment, or, and the good news is the recipient doesn't have to pay tax on it. That feels good as a recipient, but the bottom line is usually you're getting less money, and usually you each have less money after tax. So it's it's overall not a good thing. Um, The one silver lining is divorces prior to December 31st of 2018, those divorces, even though they may have payments for the next 20 years, those future payments, if you were divorced in 2018 or before, are still deductible and taxable the way it was. And you can make changes to those agreements as long as you have a good attorney that puts the right language in there and to continue that tax deductibility. Um, Another silver lining is it, it does provide, again, some then opportunities for different tax planning. And this is why it is helpful to have a CDFA in the case because that recipient spouse now if they're not going to work, might have very, very low income, which means they could take investments and sell stock and have a very low capital gain rate. They may take more in retirement assets, be able to take the money out of an IRA or 401k at a low rate. A breadwinning spouse might then have the cash flow because they're not paying as much maintenance to put a lot more in a retirement account, especially if they're a business owner or a high-level executive where they have a little more flexibility on those plans. So you really want to be thoughtful on incorporating the property split along with the maintenance and alimony payments.
0: Well, and I think that's an important point that you make there, because I think a lot of people who are aware of the 2018 tax change that eliminated the alimony, dedu- the deductibility of alimony think, well, then taxes are not all that important when it comes to divorce settlements anymore. And in many ways, it actually made it more important to look at the tax consequences, um, because uh, your point is, is a good one. Unfortunately, the change that was made was good for the government because they're now getting more in taxes. It wasn't so good for families who have gone through divorce because it means that there's less money available because it's getting paid as taxes as overall family support. So you have to be even more aware of and particular about the tax consequences on the property side. Um, So let's talk about those a little bit and let's talk about the property side because this is the thing, you know, and maybe you experience this as well. I always find that when people start the divorce process, the very first thing they start doing before they even know what there is to divide, they start saying, so you're going to get this and I'm going to get this and who gets that and I want that. Um, and, and it doesn't, just as you said earlier with the alimony, it needs to work into the overall picture. The division of your assets and liabilities also needs to be a part of the puzzle that works well. And that goes to taking the tax consequences and everything into, into consideration. But let's, you know, let's do an overview of the property distribution or the property settlement.
1: Yeah, and so again, the nice thing about working with a mediator or negotiating the divorce with attorneys rather than going so focused on a judge doing it is you you can have a lot of flexibility. I mean, as many emotions that are through the divorce, the most important thing is to really focus on the next chapter, which is the name of my book, and the beyond divorce. And so as much as you might be frustrated or unhappy with your spouse, if you can focus on what's best for your kids, if appropriate, and what's going to set you up for what you want going forward, you're gonna make better decisions because nobody gets everything they want in divorce. They're lucky to get the top two or three. So again, we start with what's on your divorce bucket list? What do you really, really, really want? What's nice to have if possible? And unfortunately, everything else, you just gotta to learn to let it go and the faster you can accept that and move on. I mean, not make a bad settlement, not be a doormat, but let things go that aren't going to materially impact your future life, it'll, it'll pay off in the long run so much. So when we're looking at the property split, as you said, sometimes people are really tied to certain assets and we encourage them to be open to just all possibilities. What makes sense? Um, you know, cash is usually king. You need, you need to have cash and liquidity. You see cases. I mean, I had a lady come to me, that had $60 million in real estate, but almost no cash and very little in retirement accounts, and so when you're separating, going into two, you know, houses, cash is really important to make sure that there's liquidity to pay bills. Then we look at, you know, what's in investment accounts, what are the embedded gains on that. We'll look at retirement accounts, IRAs, four hundred one k's, profit sharing. Um, there's some special rules for those that you want to be cognizant of. Um, money in a 401k, if you take that out through a qualified domestic relations order, a quadro, you actually have some options to get that money out without a 10% penalty versus if you take money from an IRA, you don't have that special tax rule. So again, being thoughtful and aware of what your choices are based on each spouse's age, based on their tax bracket, based on what liquidity they need for House for just paying the bills for attorney's fees, other things is really important to understand when you're doing the property split. Of course, uh, one of the most emotional things is typically the house. Oh, yeah, and uh, again, I can't encourage people enough to just be open to possibilities. There's advantages and disadvantages, of course, of keeping the house. Again, as a, a mother and a business owner, I can relate to this. Going through it. Um, the stability for the house of the kid, the stability for the kids and the community, and even yourself can be very nice. Uh, but you also see people sometimes really just want a fresh start. And the worst thing is to really fight and spend a lot of money to keep the house and then realize you can't afford it afterwards because you didn't understand the full cost and complexity. Or when you get done and then kind of can take a breath because the divorce is over, realize like maybe I don't want to stay here. And again, sometimes people, we see a lot of clients who come to us, have kids in middle school, high school, first years of college, and sometimes they feel like I have to have that house to get the kids through high school. And what they don't think about is that sometimes it's nice for the kids to have, if they're going to have to change, if you can't keep the house or don't want the house long-term, if they can live in the new property for a year. Year or two, or multiple years, then when they come back from college or long term, they've had an opportunity to like create that as their home. If you sell it right after high school and then they come back, it doesn't, the new place doesn't feel like theirs. If it's in a different community from where they went to high school, that can be hard because they, you know, come back on break and the kids are somewhere else. So there's a, a lot of dynamics that if someone's just going through the divorce, and of course, given the motion and the process, they're not thinking of. It, and that's, again, why having a team slow you down, focus on your objectives what if all of these solutions, and then crunch the numbers to say, well, what can you afford long-term is really gonna help you get the best settlement.
0: I'd like to take a moment now to tell you about my favorite co-parenting app, Fair. There are other apps out there, but Fair is the only one that I recommend to my clients. We know that divorce is never easy and when children are in the picture, it can be really tricky, especially when you're trying to communicate with your ex and that's a challenge. Now there's an app with you and your kids in mind. It's called FAIR, F-A-Y-R. FAIR is the easiest, most intuitive and conflict diffusing co-parenting app on the market. It helps to eliminate misunderstandings while also improving communication between co-parents. Here's what the FAIR app can do. It has a time-sharing calendar, documentable text messaging, an expense tracker, a GPS check-in, and by the way, no one else has that, a monthly parenting report, a private journal, a file vault, and importantly, you can export all of the records into a convenient and time and date stamped PDF when you need it for your attorney or for court. And there's a Spanish version of the app as well. So subscribe at BeFair.com, that's B-E-F-A-Y-R.com, and then download FAIR from the App Store or Google Play. You can go to FAIR.com for more details and use the discount code SusanG18 to receive 20% off. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, leading divorce financial professional, Heather Locus, on Negotiating Your Financial Future, Key factors to consider. What people often don't understand is that when you take financial consequences into consideration, such as taxes or costs to liquidate or that type of thing, many assets are not equal. They may on paper. It may look like your house is worth a million dollars and your your 401k has a million dollars in it. So they're equal things and you can just each keep one. But that's not true, is it? If you are enjoying this episode, check out Lying, Cheating and Adultery, How to Heal from Betrayal with the founder of the PBT Institute, Dr. Debbie Silber. Why does it hurt so much? It hurts so much because it's a complete and total attack to the self. You know, with other types of traumas, death of a loved one, disease, natural disaster, they all hurt, we, we mourn, we grieve, but we don't have to necessarily rebuild the self. But with betrayal, Rejection, abandonment, belonging, confidence, worthiness, trust. They all take a gigantic hit and they all have to be rebuilt. And now we return to today's show. Actually, the point you just made about... um, The kids coming back from college and it being a brand new house, I've never had anyone make that point. And it's a very good one because people do become very tied to keeping the house for the kids. And I have to be honest, you know, having been a divorce attorney for so long, I have, I've had clients who have sold the house and moved. I've had clients who kept it. I would say overall, most of the clients who kept the house, have regretted that to some degree afterward, only because even if you can afford to keep it, usually it is maxing out your resources. Um, So even if the, the numbers work, it's usually that they barely work. And if what you're doing is spending every penny you're getting in child support and alimony and your income on maintaining the house and you're not living in one of those places where house values continue to rise, you have an asset that's sucking your money but not appreciating and, and bringing you value. So I do think that that you know is something that you need to talk with a financial advisor about before you make a decision a knee jerk decision. That you don't wanna, you know, that you do wanna keep the house or that you don't want to move somewhere new. Another thing that I always have to caution clients about, and I'm sure this comes up for you when you speak to them, is what I call the apples and oranges of assets um, or liabilities, really. So, and everyone should understand your marital estate consists of both the good and the bad. It's all your assets and pluses. It's also all your minuses, all the debts you owe, all the credit cards, mortgages, whatever those might be. So, but what people often don't understand is that when you take financial consequences into consideration, such as taxes or costs to liquidate or that type of thing, many assets are not equal. They may on paper, it may look like your house is worth a million dollars and your Your 401k has a million dollars in it. So they're equal things and you can just each keep one. But that's not true, is it?
1: Exactly. So let's say, you know, we have $3 million marital estate, million dollar house, might have $500,000 mortgage. You might have a million dollars in IRA and a million dollars in a taxable account. And that taxable account might have an $800,000 basis. So the taxable account, if it was liquidated, they only have to pay tax on that $200,000 Gain and they get a lower rate the million dollars in the IRA or 401k you have to pay tax on that full million dollars when you take it out and the house it depends on what your basis was but we know to keep it you have property taxes you have the heater when it goes out you have all these extra expenses that make that a very you know cost prohibitive, at times, um, asset that to take. And, and sometimes it is the best choice to keep it. Again, I can empathize um, wanting to keep the house, I'm still in the marital home, nine years later after the divorce. But for us, what's important is Clients understanding it and making conscious choices. And sometimes, if people really want to stay in the house, it's okay, what if we keep the house six years or seven years and downsize at some future point? But we'll run models and projections and say, but what if they downsize sooner rather than later? And part of why it's so important to do this like half to two thirds into the negotiations, when you've started to narrow in what the range of possibilities might be of a settlement for property and for maintenance. But before it's finalized is because, especially with the house, there's other things that you need to consider in terms of deductibility of property taxes, the mortgage. From a practical standpoint, if you have a someone who's been at home and doesn't have income, you can't just go refinance a mortgage in your own name. You have to have maintenance payments typically for six months yep. for that same amount before you can refinance. And you want to make sure all this gets written appropriately, as you know, in the marital settlement agreement. So we will not run projections for people when they're very early in the divorce and they haven't done negotiations and they haven't either received a written offer or are about to make one with their attorney because we want to make sure that we're only running things that the attorneys tell us are possible given the case. Um, But having said that, you don't want to do it at the end, even though it's hard to come see a financial advisor because it's one more thing to do because there are many pieces of it that you want to understand in making good decisions for the final agreement and what gets written into the document.
0: Yeah, and that's actually a very key point because, you know, I always talk about the team approach to handling your divorce. You need to build your team and you don't build your team at the end. You wouldn't Pull together your baseball team in the ninth inning. You pull together your team as you're going into the process, and a financial, you know, advisor is is so important in this process because you do not want to make financial decisions or start making agreements and then go to a financial professional and find out. That the consequences of those decisions are not what you anticipated because of a tax consequence or because of um, the applicability of you know of of other rules that you hadn't thought about or modeling, and so and then you end up it looks like you've reneged or you're backtracking, and that can be very harmful to your negotiation process.
1: Exactly, and this is true whether you're the breadwinner or the at-home spouse. You know, a lot of times people will say, "Well, do you only help?" the spouse who's not the breadwinner are not as good as finances. And it's like, oh, no, 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 because the breadwinner, you know, now that they're separating assets and will probably have a maintenance payment, they typically want to find out how fast are they going to earn what they're paying, you know, how fast can they earn it back. And they need to understand as well. I mean, you see many times where they'll, you know, rent a place for 10,000 a month, they're really expensive, not understanding the impact on them. And often, we see breadwinners, even if they're moving out of the marital home, they might want the kids to stay there. And sometimes they're very willing to share in those costs, especially for middle school or high school children. And understanding like all the ramifications is really important. So again, I can't stress enough that people being open to possibilities and just really brainstorming multiple scenarios of what might happen post-divorce and then how they want to think about that now.
0: Yep. And I think that's that's really important for people to understand that there are financial considerations on both sides and both sides need to get professional, even a financial advisor like yourself, getting some help. When I was got divorced, I had a divorce attorney, <laughs> even though that's what I do for a living. So um, I do wanna touch back on something else you talked about because quadros are something that people do not understand until they get into the divorce process often. Um, and it's an integral part because in many, many divorces these days, the retirement accounts are a significant factor or are a significant asset of the marriage. Um, So let's just quickly at a high level sort of go over, you know, retirement accounts, the differences between them and when a quadro applies.
1: Sure, so retirement accounts in general, most of them that is gonna mean you put the money in pre-tax, meaning you got the deduction when the money went in. So when you take the money out, whichever spouse does, um, is going to have to pay a lot of money, a lot of income tax on that. So they want to understand that. If they're under 59 and a half, they potentially will have a 10% penalty if they need to take that Money out, or even if you know if you get divorced at 52, but you don't have enough other assets to get to you to 59 and a half and you need money later, you could have to pay a 10% penalty, and that's on why, top
0: of the tax, right? On top of the
1: income tax, it's yes. a very expensive proposition. It is, and that so that goes back to when we talk about liquidity and cash is king, we got to project out how does this look longer term for your, your spending. Um, and then in addition to it, as I briefly mentioned, so an IRA does not allow any option to take money out without a 10% penalty. As I as I said that, as a CPA, I hesitate because there are some ways to do it with substantial equal payments and some esoteric things that sometimes work, but in general, the IRA you can't take out without the 10% penalty, but money direct from a retirement account, a 401k, you can take out even under 59 and a half without the 10% penalty. So again, if we're looking at those projections and one of the spouses might need income, then you might look at, okay, we need the, uh, the non-employed spouse To get that retirement assets because they can take it out through a quadro and the quadro allows for the specific rule. The employed spouse doesn't have that choice. It's only a non employed spouse where you're doing or, you know, the spouse of not that plan where you're rolling it over. So again, understanding the title who owns what, how we separate assets can matter on what your choices are. Yeah, I I
0: actually did a mediation recently where one of the parties had a very significant 401k through their employment and the other party uh, wanted to keep the marital residence and needed to buy the other party out. And we actually did a quadro, a qualified domestic relations order, transferring part of the employed spouse's 401k over to the non-earning spouse who then took that one-time distribution that's allowed that you're talking about to get cash to then pay back to the other party. And it was all a part, we worked it out with a financial advisor and it was the way to do that with the, you know, eliminating the 10% penalty. And then the party who was taking the money out had no income or very little income. So it was taxed at a much lower rate. So it was a win-win all the way around because we sat with a financial advisor to figure that out.
1: Exactly. And sometimes people think that those are things you need to do if you don't have a lot of assets, but that's not true, especially with the new taxes. As I said, if we, had, you know, great divorce, people over 50 and over 60, I mean the oldest I've had is I had somebody come to me at 82 that okay. had just gotten divorced. And so, you know, if someone's over 59 and a half, they're 60 and one spouse is still working, which a lot of times people have their greatest earnings potential, you know, in their early 60s. The other spouse, if they're not working, we can take money out of retirement accounts and get it at a very low tax bracket, even if there's $10 million, $100 million in the state. So there's like things to think about very strategically, and in some ways, there's a lot more tax planning when there are more assets. Um, the other thing on Quadros people really need to understand is there's the IRS rules, what the government allows you to do, but there's also company plan rules. So just because the IRS allows it doesn't mean that company specifically allows it. So it's really important to check what the choices are based on that owned company retirement plan, especially if there's a potential pension payout with a monthly annuity payout in retirement. And it's also important to get these documents reviewed before the divorce is done and then filed and executed on. Sometimes people have them, but they don't follow up on the execution.
0: Yeah, that's one of the big wraparound um, or post divorce things that needs to be completed. Something for people to understand is your quadro cannot be done until there's a finalized divorce judgment. Um, and then it's done, but you can have all the paperwork done and then be ready to go. What happens is a lot of people are so fatigued by the end of the divorce, they fail to follow through on some of those things. And that can be potentially one of the most financially devastating things if you do not complete your quadro. So that that's a key factor. So we just have a few minutes left, but I want to just talk quickly about an issue that I think people forget about in the financial picture. And, and I don't want them to, because this, can also be, you know, very significant, especially if someone has an illness or there's a potential health issue. So health insurance, um, because that's almost always impacted in a divorce. And um, it's something that people, as they're working through their settlement, really need to take into consideration. So what do you, you know, highlight for your clients about health insurance?
1: Again, it's all about understanding options. So no matter how amicable your divorce is, the company plan won't let you stay on as a spouse after the divorce. One thing to know, if you're still legally married but live in two households, you do you can stay on that that. Family plan as long as you're legally married. Some people think when they move out that they can't, that's not a choice, but it is. Once you're divorced, though, then you have to look at getting your own insurance. And a common solution is COBRA. Often the kids will stay on, you know, the employed spouse's plan. A non working spouse will then look at COBRA, which is a federal law. So in all the states, if there's 20 or more employees at the, the Company, they're going to have that choice. And it's important to know that Cobra in divorce is eligible for three years, for 36 months. We had a person come to us once and their HR department said it was only 18 18 months. Yeah, because that's common if you leave a job. But for divorce, it's actually 36 months. Um, It's also important to know that some states, most states, actually have spousal continuation. They were initially designed for smaller companies under 20 that weren't necessarily eligible for Cobra. But some companies are subject to both, both COBRA and spousal continuation. Some some states don't allow much spousal continuation. It may be as little as three months. But some states have some very robust plans. For example, in Illinois, if you're divorced after 55 and the company is eligible for Illinois spousal continuation, that spouse can keep that Illinois spousal continuation until 65, till they're eligible wow. for Medicare. So that's much better than three years of COBRA if they're not planning on working so right again, you need to understand what happens in your state what happens in your company plan and make thoughtful decisions now Cobra you do have to pay for yourself so people sometimes think my spouse has to pay it if you can negotiate that great but usually you can't you're gonna pay it so you want to know that and we see a lot of people will consider going back to work if they've been at home for many years partially just for those insurance benefits because it, it makes a big difference
0: yeah, it does. And, and honestly, what people don't understand about COBRA is there's a different cost for COBRA coverage than what your spouse was paying to add you as a family member. Usually that's a nominal amount um, or what we might call nominal in the world of health insurance. Yeah. Um, but when you go and get the COBRA costs, which your spouse, whomever the, the employed spouses would go and get from their HR department, it's usually a shocking eye-opener um, for women And especially once they hit 40, Cobra costs can be well over $1,000 a month. Um, So many clients, since we got, I don't know what, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, um, the the health plans that are available through the exchange are usually a more affordable option.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting to see, again, it's state-specific. What we see in California is they have really good providers. So people often will just go through the exchange and go to healthcare.gov and pick their plan there, even if they were eligible for COBRA or spousal continuation. Um, What happens in Illinois is the plans are not as robust. A lot of the providers aren't in them, so most people in Illinois will go on COBRA or Illinois spousal continuation. So again, it's state-specific, plan-specific, and that's why you really need to, to educate yourself before the divorce is final.
0: Yeah, and that's, a you know, another good point, you know, getting your attorney or mediator who's acquainted with the laws in your state, having a financial advisor who's acquainted with, you know, as you can hear, Heather is talking about very specific laws to the state of California, to the state of Illinois, you want people who have those nuances down because all of those little things aren't so little when they come into that overall puzzle of your divorce financial settlement. So, Heather, that is, you know, a broad overview of the topics that people need to, to think about and consider, um, I, I thank you for bringing this information to them. I know people are going to have a lot more questions. Um, so how can they get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, they can email me directly at hlocus at bdflc.com. That's H-L-O-C-U-S at B as in Boy, D as in David, F as Frank, um, And as we talked about, if they want to put in the subject line, the Divorce and Beyond podcast, I'm happy to give the first three people who email me a copy of my book that comes like this with a planner. So you could have it in a business meeting or a soccer field and it's discreet, nobody knows it's on divorce. And anybody who wants to email me, we have some nice checklists. So pre-divorce checklist that kind of helps you get organized and a post-divorce checklist for what you want to make sure you take care of afterwards. i happy to send that information. And we have lots of resources on our website as well.
0: Yeah, I encourage people, first of all, uh, as you can see if you're watching this on the video channel, um, Heather gave me a copy of her book. And this isn't just financial resources. This is a resource, really a, a wraparound resource for people going through divorce. It is called The Next Chapter. It's an excellent resource. So if you're listening right now, hurry up and be one of the first three people so you can get a copy. Um, but those checklists are also incredible incredibly valuable uh, because we all, you know, we all need the lists and the knowledge and the understanding. It's why you're listening to this podcast, to, to educate yourselves and to know what you don't know. Um, so Heather, thank you so much for joining me here today. This information is, is really going to, I, I always find getting educated, getting information is the first step in fighting the fear that we all feel around this topic. So thank you for helping with that
1: today. Thank you for the opportunity. It was really fun. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond. Please note, Balasa D'Inverno Fultz, LLC, BDF, does not serve as an attorney, accountant, or insurance agent. BDF does not prepare estate planning documents or tax returns, nor does it sell insurance products. Please see the important disclosure information in the notes of this podcast. BDF's current written disclosure statement discussing advisory services and fees is available for review at www.bdflc.com or by request.